0: All right, let's hit the ground running. We are in part five of our First Corinthians series entitled Discovering the Kingdom. We're gonna be in First Corinthians chapter four this morning if you want a little head start. But if you are watching online, I would love for you to grab that app, open it up. You can take notes on there, but I'm gonna give you the fill in the blank here in a little bit and so you're a little bit ready for that. For all of us here in the room, we can take out some notes for note takers. And I entitled today's message, the humility of the mighty. And I want to begin with a question. It's going to sound a little little awkward and weird, but you'll see where I'm going with it. What does it look like to be a big dog in the kingdom of God? What does it look like to be a big dog in the kingdom of God? Now, I think that if we probably dwelt on it for a while, we would realize that the way that God assesses the big dogs in the kingdom is probably very different than the way that we do it, yeah? Uh, I am completely convinced, have been for most of my life, that if we were all ordered in a line in heaven as to who's a big deal, I'm quite certain that a woman from Edna, uh, named Edna from Ohio that no one knows will be in the front of the line. You know, we think about all the, the big people on TV and the people on the radio, and yeah, I'm just not buying that. I think it's probably Edna. What does it look like to be a big dog in the kingdom of God? And what I mean by that is a Christian influencer, a Christian leader. If I'm gonna talk about leadership, I'm not interested in titles, I'm interested in influence. If you have influence and you are a Christian, you are a Christian leader. You may have influence over your children, you may have influence over your friends, you may have influence at work, you may have influence in sports, I don't know where your influence is, but if anybody is looking up to you, you are a leader. So when I talk about leadership, that's what I'm talking about. So what does it look like to be an influential leader or a big dog in the kingdom of God? Well, all my life, I've always been kind of the leader in whatever arena I've been in. So people from the outside would say, oh, well, Lance, he's a big dog. And I I can tell you exactly what it feels like to be one of those in the kingdom of God. It is not sexy. (laughs) It is so much a drag in comparison to what you thought it was. Woo, it is not all that big of a deal, right? Here's the reality. Jesus runs an upside-down system, yes? He launched a servant-leader model with this movement. The very king of our faith died on a cross at the end of his tenure of earthly ministry. Jesus suffered that we may thrive, died that we may live. So what do you really think his big dogs are gonna be like? If our king suffered and gave then what do you think he expects of his leaders? Does that make sense? Same exact thing. So this whole idea of kind of being a big dog that somehow it's all about in, you know, fame and, and everybody's paying attention to you and you get a chance to say things that people do and wow, you're making an impact. and You see, in God's world, if you got a high title, It means you just serve more and have more responsibility to love on more people. That's all it means. Paul's about to get into this and talk with the Corinthians because they thought they were a big deal. And he said, you want to know what a big deal really looks like? Let's talk about how the apostles are treated. And so he's going to walk into that in a moment. But what I really wanted to get into is that there is a blessing to doing it God's way. Now, I would love for us to all get it to the degree or the point where we're mature enough to say, I do what God asks me to do simply because I'm obedient. I don't have to understand it, I don't have to get it, he says it, I do it, cool. I don't think any of us are that mature. I think we all got a long way to go, and God knew that, so he kind of gave us little incentives to be able to do it his way. So one of the incentives, is that he says, all right, I built you in a certain way to receive a certain type of fuel to operate off. You know, you go to the gas station, and it says, basically, you got expensive, more expensive, and super expensive. You guys know, right? And then there's the weird green handle, right? And that's, and that's called fancy people. Right, that's, that's the diesel side of things. All right, so what's gonna happen if you put the diesel in a gas engine? Okay, it's not gonna go well. Okay, there's disastrous consequences. So God built us in a certain way to run off a certain type of fuel. For example, he said it is not good for mankind to be alone. What was his point? We have to run off fellowship. That's part of the fuel that goes into our bodies but we will choose isolation. And you go, wow, you're putting the wrong fuel into the tank and there are disastrous consequences. Now, I am one of these worst offenders. When my family leaves out of town, which I pray for continually, (laughs) when my wife and my girls have something to do and they leave the house, I suddenly become irresponsible of all things. And real quick show of hands, how many of you are night owls? Raise your hand if you're a night owl. Okay, let's, how many of you are morning people? Okay, what is wrong with you? Okay, so I'm a night owl, right? And, and for whatever reason, TV is not only completely absurd at late night, but for some reason I must watch it, and I'm not sure why. So I'm staying up So late, I'm staying up. Now here's the thing, what I'm supposed to do is be a responsible adult and actually get some sleep. Nope, I will stay up till two in the morning because not only must I watch TV, but I must do my phone at the same time, right? Uh, By the end of the night, the only thing positive is my Candy Crush score, do you understand what I mean? (laughs) Outside of that, I got no benefit. I wake up in the morning, I feel terrible. Everything's difficult, right? And, and once again, let me, let me tie in with you. How many of you, and, and once again, I don't think you need to show your hands. You're going to show shame. But how, how many of you know after a long day of work, you ought to go home and make a healthy meal? But the green sign of Carl's Jr.'s calls out to you there is a ring of Taco Bell on the way home. And you're like, yep, I'm stopping there, it's way easier. And then you realize, wow, I feel horrible, (laughs) right? We keep doing things to say, I wanna feel better, but we're putting the wrong fuel in and we feel worse. Okay, so here's kind of my whole point. When God built us the way that he did, he knew what we needed, and he knew what would truly fill us up. And I'm about to share one with you because it's counterintuitive. One of the greatest fuels of the Christian life is serving God and other people. Amen. Now, that is not at all the fuel we want to put in our tank when we are low. We want it to be all about us. We want everyone to go away, and we want something that makes us feel good. It is counterintuitive to say, wow, I feel like garbage. I'm struggling with depression. I'm struggling with anxiety. I'm super frustrated with my life. I want to go serve someone else. But let me tell you this, and this is that kind of aha moment that God gives us. Do you realize that as long as you are internally focused, you will continually find void? The more and more you look in, the more and more you look in, all you do is find more things wrong. All of a sudden, your attention is so internal that now everything wrong pops up, and you actually feel worse. This is counterintuitive, but when you are feeling bad about you, I need you to get your eyes on something else. I need you to get your eyes on serving someone else. And you go, but I don't have anything in the tank. That is the the fill-in-the-blank of this morning let's take a look at it there is power in serving there is power in serving why because we according to Scripture are plugged into an outlet of heaven he is the vine we are the branches apart from him we can do nothing but if we're connected to him we bear much fruit The way that the wall socket works is that there's going to be power available. But it's only when you plug something in and it's utilizing that energy does more need to come through. As long as you're not using any of it, there's no point in more energy coming through. Same thing here, if we are not using our gifts, if we are not using what God's given us, if we're not expending out and serving, then there's no point in more Holy Spirit, fresh power coming through us. It's just a waste it ends up getting damned up and you no longer have a fresh experience with God. I would suggest to you that every one of us need fresh experiences with God every day, but you're not gonna get more until you use what you have. So when we feel low, I need us to get our eyes up on him, out on one another and begin to serve because when you begin to serve, there's more fresh power coming your way. Would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4? I'm going to recap last week. Paul, the apostle, had planted this church. He was the founding pastor about four years prior to the Corinthian church, and he was calling them out on their divisiveness. They had kind of fused out into little camps. Well, my teacher's better than yours, and my group's better than yours, and I'm smarter than you, and you guys don't know what you're talking about. And so he called them out on that, and he said, man... I know you guys feel all good, like you feel superior, but you understand, the fact that you're dividing into groups shows that you're prideful and immature. It's just—it's absurd that you would shut off blessings from other groups in the church because you think they're not with you. And remember what I was sharing about, Paul said, Everything is ours. If we're all one family, we're supposed to be able to celebrate blessings no matter what camp it comes from. It's very silly to be able to be a conservative, hear that a revival broke out in a charismatic church, and you can't celebrate it because they're all those weird people, and I bet you it's probably demonic anyway, and we start saying all kinds of stupid stuff. We can't celebrate it. Then you got all of us that are Charismatics looking over at a conservative church, and we're watching Bible literacy in America go down. We're watching a conservative movement that's trying to get Bible literacy up, trying to get doctrine more accurate, and when they do that, all the Charismatics can't celebrate because they're like, eh, they're all dead people anyway. Man, they're dry inside. They ain't got no life, no Holy Spirit. And you're like, why are we not celebrating our family's wins? Why are we walling off and we can only celebrate our group? That doesn't make any sense. So we said, you guys, I just need you to understand, you're looking at all the leadership and your groups wrong. We are simply servants. God is the big deal. Yes, your leaders should be respected. They should be honored. They should be obeyed, but they should never be worshiped. That's only for God alone, right? That's where we pick up the story right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Would you turn with me to page 953 if you haven't already? I'm reading out of the ESV, the English Standard Version, uh, page 953, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to read 1 through 5, and then we'll pause, and we'll talk about it. Paul says this, This is how one should regard us as leaders or big dogs in the faith, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of us as stewards that we would be found trustworthy. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes back, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. All right, let's talk about this for a moment. Underneath this entire letter is a tension. The Corinthian church is rejecting Paul's leadership. They don't want him as their leader anymore. They don't want the Apostle Paul to be their pastor. You see, they've seen other leaders, and other leaders are more impressive, and other leaders can speak better, and other leaders can do fancier things, and they wanna upgrade. So when Paul comes back in and starts bringing in correction, if you don't respect your leader, you won't receive correction from them, so they started pushing him away. They're like, we don't don't think you are the authority. You don't get to tell us what to do. You don't have the right to speak into our lives, and they're shoving him away. So he has to simultaneously explain humility and that he's their authority. How in the world do you do that? Well, it gets kind of messy, and that's why this book is a little bit messy. But this is the important part. Why are they pushing back on him at all? Why are they not simply submitting and, lead, and, and living in what he's asking them to live? Pride. Pride. You guys, we all want to lead. We all want to lead. None of us want to follow, and you're like, mm, hold up. Pastor, that's actually not true. My personality, uh, Pastor, is that I already have a planned statement for when we get in the car after service. Here's what's going to happen. Someone in my car is going to say, where do you want to eat? I'm going to say, I don't know. Where do you want to eat? I already have it planned on my phone. I don't even say it anymore. I hit a button and I just play it for people. And then you're going you're to ask me on anything. Hey, do you want to go shopping? I don't know. Do you want to go shopping? See, pastor, I'm completely fine following anywhere somebody goes. All right, let's pause on that. Yes, in one element of your life, on things that don't ultimately matter to you, You're willing to follow. Let me get into the business of what you really care about and tell you what to do. We're going to find out if that's going to tick you off, right? We all want to lead. We all struggle with following. Most of our pushback on leadership is a veiled way of saying we want to be the leader. We would never push back if we didn't think we knew better, right? So when you struggle to submit, understand what's really going on. You think that you're in charge, all right. Is this surprising to us? No, we are Americans. (laughs) I want to talk for a moment about our nation. How did we start off? It's interesting, we call it a revolutionary war. Uh, Every 4th of July, what do we celebrate? Independence. What that means is we kicked your tail. What it means is now you don't get to tell us what to do. You were trying to be all tyrannical and be all over us. You know what, we won. That's how it works. And every year we're gonna shoot off fireworks and make it look like there's another war that we won. And so we're gonna consistently tell you, you don't own us. We get to do whatever we want, whenever we want. That's how our nation kicked off. We celebrate it all the time. Independence, independence, independence. Then, along the way, half the nation decided they hated how the government was running things, so they picked up guns, and we all started killing each other. It's called the Civil War. One side lost. They were forced to be told what to do. They've been bitter about it ever since. They're still struggling with it, right? There's all this resistance, then, we ended up getting caught up in world wars and different things took our attention away. But then all of a sudden, post-World War II, we ended up having this boomer generation rise up, and y'all had to fight the government on everything. It was like no matter what happened, we were going to protest. Man, we're going to protest this and protest that, and this isn't right, and that isn't right, and you're not doing it right. And it was just like rebellion central in the 60s and the 70s. And then all of a sudden comes my generation. I'm Gen X. I'm your guys' kids, right? When we grow up, we see that after you got in power, you're just as corrupt as who you kicked out. Exactly. And so we went, you know what? There's no point in trusting anybody. So we now determine, it's not that we're resisting the government. We just hate everyone. <laughs> and we resist everybody. It's, it's all about independence, and we're gonna push off on everybody else. Then the millennials rose up, and the millennials, for the first time, had the ability to order their world and filter everyone else out, and they can exist completely by themselves. They don't have to have any negative information coming from anyone else they can hide because they can dial in technologically into isolation. They only get to be around who they want. They rebel against anything they don't agree with. Then Gen Z comes up. And Gen Z is looking backwards and trying to figure out what they can rebel about. All the good stuff has been taken. And they're trying to figure out, well, we got to rebel on something. And now you'll notice that Gen Z is all over the map when it comes to identity, sexuality, all of that. Now they're going, listen, I will push back and I will do something that's going to freak everybody else out, tick everybody else off, because I don't want you to tell me who I am. Our entire nation has been founded, built on rebellion. Was it any wonder why the last four years have been so difficult? You guys, that's how it works. All right, a national mandate came out and said you all have to wear cloth over your face. Oh, how was that gonna go? Uh, You all need to inject something into your bodies by mandate. My body, my issue, right? Oh, that was never gonna fly but here's the problem. Christianity is counterculture. Christianity clashes with American values. Christianity teaches humility, submitting, and servanthood. And we're Christians before we're Americans. We must never brag about being fiercely independent. We must never boast about fighting every system. You want to know why? because it leaves us with the belief that we are gods in our own minds. When you can shove everyone away, who's really in charge? Just you. And when you're the God of your life, there's no room for the real one. We have to be very careful on what's happening in our spirit. Is there time to rise up when there's something that is terribly wrong? Yeah. But we rise up about everything. And I'm not quite sure that's the spirit that we need. So what was Paul saying again, right? He said, this is how you should regard us, big dogs. We're servants of Christ and we're stewards of the mysteries of God. Every Christian influencer should do more discerning than strategizing. What does that mean? We all think that we need to come up with better ideas. I think we need to come up with God's ideas. Our job, then, is to hear what He is saying, and that's the most important question you'll ever ask. What is God saying? Once you hear it, your job is to implement it. And here's where we fail to be trustworthy. Paul said, as far as being trustworthy, every Christian influencer should be trustworthy. Here's where we fall short. There are many of us that have very soft hearts We'll get in a church service, we'll hear a podcast, we'll hear something on the radio or on TV. We'll be motivated to say, here I am, Lord, send me. We will actually say, God, I'm ready to do whatever you want me to do. And that is good and glorious. Here's the problem. Very few of us ever say, Lord, the task you gave me is finished. Jesus not only said, Father, I'll do whatever you want, But on the cross, he said, and I nailed it. Paul said, God, you called me, I'll do whatever you want. And at the end of his ministry, he said, I've poured myself out completely and I'm ready to go. You guys, part of being trustworthy is not just starting with a soft heart, it's finishing the program. We're not always great at finishing. And it means that you have to say, you're not going to just become a Christian and then have the ups and the downs, and I'm going to bail out on Christianity for 13 years, and then I'm going to come back in. But it actually means being faithful all the way through. But then Paul says something interesting. He said, you guys can't judge me. Now, it seemed like a little bit of a weird turn there. But remember, they are resisting his leadership. They're telling him, I don't want you to be our pastor anymore. And he's like, oh, well, I am. Sorry. And they're saying, but I don't want you. He said, but I am going to be your dad. I'm going to guide you and lead you. They said, but we don't want you. He said, hold on a second. You don't want me because you've somehow made these judgments in your mind about who I am and what I'm capable of. Do you understand you don't have enough information to judge me? You can't make a decision about me. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you, I don't even judge myself. And you want to know why? Because I know full well that I could be self-deluded. Right now, I feel like I'm completely legit before God, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent. There's stuff that I'm not even tracking on that I'm messing up. There's things about my heart that are askew, and I don't even know it yet. I haven't even heard the message that would convict me about something that's wrong with me. So I don't judge me, and you don't get to judge me. Only God judges me because when Jesus comes back, everything's going to be obvious. Everybody wants to be able to say this ministry's good, this ministry's bad. This person is good, this person is bad. I know everything. You don't know everything. Okay, so let's talk about this. What's the difference between making decisions and determinations and judgment? Because they're not the same thing. The Bible is very clear that we are to look at the fruit of things and make determinations. What that means is we're assessing the information, and we're doing our best. You don't just blindly walk through the world and you got toxicity on you. you got to make some boundaries. you got to make some healthy choices. Is that correct? That's what the Bible says. So what's the difference with judgment? Judgment means, and I've examined the entire matter, and this is all it will be, and it will never be more than that. No human being can make that determination. And you go, well, I don't ever do that. Yeah, you do, and so do I. What we'll do is we'll write people off. That dude's a loser. You know what you just did? You just snapped the door closed and said, and it'll never be more than that. You go, I didn't say that. Yeah, you did, emotionally. You're not even interested in checking back in. You will say, this leader's bad, this group is bad, and they'll never be otherwise. What if God brings a revival into their camp? You going to look at them again? Nope, they've already been written off. Human beings are supposed to make determinations and leave a cushion that says, and I could be wrong. If you ever have a cushion of I could be wrong, you're not in danger of trying to be the ultimate judge. Does that make sense? There has to be a little humility or we become monsters. That's what he was trying to say. Pick it up in verse 6. He said, I've applied... All these to myself and to Apollos, the other great teacher, for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, so none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you didn't receive? If then you received it, why are you bragging as if you didn't? All right, let's pause there. Perhaps one of the clearest, most simple statements. What do you have that God didn't give you? Then why are you bragging as if it's you? doesn't make any sense. Well, that's not true, Pastor, because actually it was my hard work. You know, I look at a bunch of other people that are lazy out there. I'm out there killing it every day. I'm the one that built my business from the ground up. Oh, okay. So you had the ability to decide whether or not you were going to have a brain aneurysm at 21, Is that what you're telling me? Are you telling me that all of your intelligence and ideas were generated from your own head? Where'd you get your own head? Where'd you get any of your thoughts? Where'd you get any of the ability to have your heart beat? Where did you get any chance to be able to have a system that works? You keep telling me it's you, it's not you. Everything you have received is from God. So why are you bragging like it's you? If you borrowed something from someone else, you don't brag about it, it's not yours. You're just thankful for it. And I think we need to be in more of a thankful place than a bragging place. Verse 8. Now, 8 through 13 I have to explain because Paul is ticked off at this moment, and he is about to unleash what's called holy sarcasm. And he's about to get super nasty, right? So let me, let me read through with this, and I'll explain what he said. He said, oh, I get it, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, without any leadership, you've become kings. Hey, I wish you did reign so we could share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles, us real big dogs, as last of all, like men sentenced to death. Because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels, to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. Oh, but you're wise in Christ. We're weak, but you're strong, right? You're held in honor, we're held in disrepute. To this present hour, we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed, we are buffeted, we are homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless back. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we entreat. We have become, and are still, like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. That's angry Paul. Wow. So he's venting there on them and saying, okay, let's replay this, guys. How do you view yourselves? You're pushing back on me, telling me you don't want my leadership. So who do you think you are? All right, let's go through it. You think that you're kings, right? that you're wealthy, superior, you're the prime authority. Nobody can tell you what to do. Oh, I get it. You're wise, right? You know better. You're strong. You're more powerful, right? You're worthy of honor. You're so impressive. You know what it really looks like to be an apostle in real life? Let me tell you what it really looks like if you're a big dog in the kingdom. You see, we're last of all. We're the expendable ones. God will kill most of us off. We are like men sentenced to death. We are bound to a cause that will lead to our demise. We're fools. We're trusting, believing, and teaching absurd things. We're weak. We are just struggling to make it to fulfill our calling. We are held in disrepute because we're disrespected every day. We are physically needing. All of us are hungry, thirsty. We don't have the right clothing. We're beaten. We're homeless, and you know what? We're not richly supported. We are working hard every day just to make a living. And you wanna know how everybody views us? As the scum of the earth. You wanna know what it looks like to be a big dog? Corinthians, you keep telling me that you're so impressive. You keep telling me that you got it and you don't need me. You wanna know what it really looks like to be a big dog? Like that. You wanna talk about the apostles that walked around Jesus? Yeah, one's alive, all the rest are dead. You want to talk about what it means to be influential? I'll tell you what it means. Nobody gets you, it never goes your way, and you're constantly pouring out and getting nothing in return. That's what it's like. So if you want to play the game about who's bigger and who's badder, you or me, I think you're judging on the wrong classifications. You want to know while we're suffering all that, you know how we have to act? we're held to a higher standard. Here's how we act. When we are reviled, we don't trade insults. When we're persecuted, we don't fight back. When we're slandered, we don't fight. We try to be fair. I feel like God is exhibiting us like walking billboards and whatever message he wants to say that day comes at our cost. That's a big dog. There you go. Wow, right? Pretty intense. Okay, let me ask a a question because he's blasting them because they got so gifted and so impressive that they got arrogant. So how does somebody who's super gifted not become arrogant? Like we all kind of go, ooh, I don't want to be a Corinthian right now, right? So let's talk about you. I would suggest every one of you are the big dog in some regard. There's something you're really good at, and you're probably better than everybody else around you. It might be your work product, it might be your natural gifting, it might be your brains, it might be your physical prowess. I don't know what it is, but there's areas where you might be better than everybody else. In that area, how do you not become arrogant? For me, the way I see it, here's our shot. We gotta see everything as practically as possible. We gotta normalize the praise and we gotta normalize the criticism. We have to understand that God can pull the plug on us at any time and it's really him doing it. And we have to have a bigger picture viewpoint that we are only one of millions of believers that God does cool stuff through. And we gotta refuse to be impressed by anything that's not God-generated. But ultimately, here's what it comes down to. We all should be confident, not arrogant. There's a difference. What's the difference? Well, confident says, I'm really good at this, and I likely can do it better than all of you. That's confident. You know what arrogant is? I'm just a better person than you. You're a lower quality of human. The minute you shift over from one to the next, and it's a very fine line, you've walked out of Jesus and you walked into the world. You see, I believe that saying, God has built in me something magical and wonderful, glorifies God. I don't think humiliating yourself and demoting yourself, I'm nothing, I'm garbage, I don't think that glorifies God. I want you confident. There are certain things you can do better than everybody else. Be confident. But the minute you think that you're a better level of human being and everybody else isn't worth your time and you look down on them, you shift it over and we lost you, right? Pick it up in verse 14. I don't write these things to make you ashamed, Corinthians, but to admonish you or correct you, or rebuke you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you don't have many fathers. I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Let's pause. He said, I'm not trying to tear you down. I'm trying to correct you. You go, yeah, but it still feels like a beating. What's the difference? Motivation. Heart. Heart. If your intention is them to be stronger at the end, it's correction. If your intention is to tear them down, it's destruction. He said, at the end of the day, I need to deconstruct, but I'm interested in reconstructing you and leaving you stronger than I found you. Why? Because I'm your dad. They're like, what are you talking about? He's like, you remember when I came up and I shared the gospel with you and you didn't know anything about Jesus? I watched you come alive. I watched the Holy Spirit come into you. I watched you be transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I was there at your birth. I have a connection to you that other people don't have. I get it. You've got a whole bunch of people that look out for you. You've got a lot of different guides. You have a lot of different mentors. You have a lot of different disciplers, but you only got one dad. You go, well, what's the difference between a guide and a dad? Guides have a very narrow lane, and they're only interested in that narrow lane. Parents care about the whole package. We cannot hold all opinions of equal value. Here's what I mean. Let's use it with our kids, and then we'll bounce it up to us should our children equally count the opinion of their parent and media the same no No. why because here's what you're going to say the media does not have your best interest in mind right but aren't there good things on media aren't there good agendas on media aren't there good yes absolutely but those are guides Those are mentors. Those are people that are only interested in one thing. They're not looking how the one thing impacts the other thing that impacts you holistically, and you end up worse. Media is about selling airtime. It is not about raising children. So you cannot say that my opinion as your parent is the exact same as what you Googled. They're not equal, I get it, they're brilliant, but they don't love you like I love you. And Paul said the same thing. Yeah, you got all kinds of leaders and teachers and everybody gives you good information. All I'm telling you is I saw you at the beginning and I'm gonna see you at the end. Nobody loves you like I love you. Now, let's make it more practical and kick it to us. Let's say you're at work and you're in charge of your employees. This is practical, if you care about your employees, your love for them will, whether you know it or not, purify a lot of what you say and your motives. If you don't care for them at all, you're going to bleed dysfunction on them. You just have to know that. What's the point? The love of a parent purifies motivation. The love of a leader purifies motivation. When you only have disdain for the people you lead, you're going to hurt them. That's what I'm talking about. All right, let's wrap it up. Remember how I told you that in this year of discovery, I wanted to each time kind of grab a a thought that was like, oh, I didn't even see it that way, right? Like that's an aha moment. Well, I got one of those for you as we close out, all right? Here's how I see it. I'm going to give you a formula. You don't need to write this down. Just listen to the concept. In Christianity, the greater the title, the greater your role you play, which means the greater the service you must do, and the more service you must do means less for you. You just got to own that, right? Okay? The world teaches us that we came into this life with nothing, and the rest of our lives we need to amass Grab everything you can, make all the friends you can, make all the fame you can, make all the money you can, because you came in empty and you want to leave full. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches you came in full and your whole life is giving it away. Here's why. The moment you got saved, You had all the love of God. You had all the grace of God. You had all the forgiveness. You walk in a state of perpetual grace. You got all your authority. You got all your power. You got all your gifting, all at the beginning. Your tank is full. Your job is to give it away, and give it away, and give it away, and give it away, and give it away, away because when you give it out, more can flow back into your container. Christianity says, I need you to distribute that I might reload. It's vastly different than the world. If we follow the world's wisdom, we will clutch what we have too tightly, Because we're afraid we'll lose it. If you do it Jesus' way, the point was to release because you're getting more anyway. Amen? Amen. All right, let's close in prayer. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Uh, Jesus, that you enacted this. You're the living word and Holy Spirit. We would have never seen any insights if you didn't show it to us. God, we could have gone over that passage a million times and never saw it. But today we are blessed. God, we leave here filled up. We leave here believing that we are full. Would you just show us ways to give it out as you backfill us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.